1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 187, BGG Hotness. We'd like to thank Cindy, our brand new Patreon backer, for helping us bring you a brand new episode.
0: You're listening to a
1: proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, you're back! Yay! Yay! <laughs> it's not enough board games. <laughs> we talked about this last week, and I have to confront you here now you went to a convention that was not cardboard-based?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was all digital, actually. It was digital marketing. So by definition, the opposite of cardboard. Oh my God, you're a traitor
1: to the cardboard revolution.
0: Yeah, there was no signs even. Everything was digital. There was LCDs everywhere. It's <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I was up in Boston. Uh, I did wander around the city to try to find their game stores. Not a lot in the city, as most big cities tend to have. And I didn't have a car, but... I uh, did get to check out a couple, so that was fun. Okay. So there was
1: no meeples, there was no dice rolling at any point during the convention?
0: No, not even a little bit. I mean, in my hotel room, because I brought some solo games to keep me busy at night, but otherwise, no. So
1: at no point did you flip a table or a tablet at the convention? No, no. I did drop my phone on an escalator. <laughs> okay all right well as long as there was a game on it while you were doing
0: it then i guess it's fine yeah i mean having to run back down the escalator grab your phone before it gets crushed at the bottom it's
1: kind of a game it's a good pressure luck game we'll have to talk to uh some designers
0: and see if they can put something together for you right it'd be like escape the temple it'd be like race <laughs> the escalator
1: <laughs> well we're glad to have you back and we're glad to have you back on a really fun episode we are doing bgg hotness it's been a little while And we wanted to get back to what everyone's talking about concerning the brand new Hotnesses board games. Obviously, Gen Con is cooled down. Essen is heating up. So we'll definitely see some games there. And everyone's still getting those games from Gen Con at the table. So a lot of really fun stuff. Kickstarters are coming in. A lot of different things are happening. So we're going to be talking about all the games you should keep an eye out for. So a lot of good stuff there. So before we get into all of that kind of fun stuff,
0: let's talk about what you are all talking about. So, Anthony, what's our question of the week? I ask everybody, what other games or game franchises would you like to see mashed together? So what kind of games would you like people to make with random IPs mashed together? And just for the sake of argument, I'm going to say no Munchkin because we're good there. We got <laughs> kind of a given. Yes, it's in everything. So no more munchkin. Kyle says Sushi Go and Pandemic Legacy. He does not elaborate. So I don't know what that would look like. (laughs) Chris mentions Terraforming Mars and Defenders of the Realm. I think that'd be kind of cool. Have like a Defender style game on Mars um, or even like a economic take on uh, Defenders of the Realm or that Pandemic uh, formula. Willie says Rising Sun and Blood Rage, i.e. Rising Rage. I'm fine with that. That sounds fun. And then Martin says, Dungeon Pets and Great Western Trail, either taking full-grown monsters to market or raising cows and farm animals. All right. What do you think? What would you mash together? Well, I think I liked a little bit of what you said earlier. I really like the
1: idea of civilization building, but in space. So I would put together, through the ages, a new story of civilization, but mash that together with terraforming Mars. So instead of just like, putting together contracts and putting together, you know, dropping meteors and oxygen levels and stuff like that. But take the game to the next stage, which is now the planet has been terraformed more or less. What would civilization be like growing out of Mars with or without aliens?
0: That's fine too. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. I like that really matching anything economic into uh, these themes that are generally more Ameritrash would be kind of cool. Cause there's games where I love the theme Like, give me a Star Wars Euro, like just a legit cube Euro about Star Wars. Buy that in a minute, Um, but you don't see a lot of that. No,
1: not too much, but I think think it might be coming. You might eventually see, you know, a giant wooden cube representing the Death Star that, you know, (laughs) it's going to give you some economic benefits or something along that line. All right, so that's what we're talking about as far as our question of the week and our mashup, but we want to mash up what you think with what we think. So we want you to join us on social media, whole bunch of different sites talk about it every week. I really would like you to do is get other people at the table, listening to the podcast so that we have more people at the table talking about more great games and maybe introduce them to some brand new hotness, maybe. All right, Anthony. So that's our question of the week. It's getting all mashed up here. So let's get on to
0: our acquisition disorder. So, What are you looking forward to getting to the table eventually? All right. I I mean, I knew about this a couple weeks ago, but again, I haven't been on in a couple weeks, so it got bumped a little. Um, This is one of, I think, four different Uwe Rosenberg releases at Etzen this year. Um, There is another designer credited, so I think probably that someone else built this with his input. Um, Gernot Kjopke. That's A Feast for Odin, the Norwegians. So this is the first big box expansion for A Feast for Odin. And I think to date, the only real expansion content for this game, the two additional island tiles for exploration. This is an actual big box expansion, lots of stuff in there. And a couple things that I feel like might fix a few of the issues that I know people have. So the first thing, you have four new islands, double-sided. So lots of new stuff, lots of new places to visit. There are new puzzle pieces. So there are now horses and pigs. Uh, as well as new kinds of animals and different things you can pick up that way. All, everything else comes with a little bit more content. They did not increase it to five players, which makes me happy. I hate when an expansion does that. They're like, "This is part of what you're paying for." You're like, "I don't want." It. It's just so frustrating. Like, I don't. Can you just give me five dollars back and not give me that part? <laughs> um, don't have that many people at the table. Come on, man. Right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of good stuff here. There's a new fifth row to make better actions with that last Viking. There's some new pieces. Um, There are uh, new great pieces with more swords on them and everything else. So like more stuff of everything you know. But then they add in a couple other new things with the random start building. So previously the only asymmetry was everybody started with a different profession card. Now everybody also starts with a different random start building. So there are six boards... And you can build on the front or back with one wood and an action. And these basically, they give you lots of different things. So bonuses, upgrades, whatever it is. But just you start with something a little bit different to give you some direction to start the game. Because the game is such a sandbox. And new players especially just stare at it and go, uh, it's, it's too much. Another thing that they do is make it so that with the profession cards, you can discard them for victory point chips. And you, you're kind of racing to do that instead of putting professional cards into the game, you can throw it away to get the VPs and this, whether you just don't want to do the card or whatever it is, it just gives you something else to do with these cards. Sometimes you draw them and you're like, I'm not going to do anything with this. This is useless to me. Then you can kind of go after these competitive victory point chips that are now available. And there's only a limited number of them. So I think it says two, four victory point chips, six of the three victory point chips. And then after that, they're all worth two. So uh, a little bit of a race there if you kind of want to burn your cards early i really like it i like the idea of it i haven't played it obviously uh it's coming out at Essen, so i have it on pre-order but this is one of my favorite rosenberg games this is one of my favorite games period shoring up the beginning of the game a little bit giving a little bit more content some new options that add a little bit of strategy but are not super overwhelming hopefully looking forward to it it's uh the norwegians for feast road
1: never have enough polyominoes is that just what it comes down to man yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Jeez. I mean that that game has so many pieces to it. I just can't imagine adding any more, more. to the game. Oh my
0: god. Give me more. Is it coming its own table? Uh, I don't it might need <laughs> to. That's the thing too is I got the I got the uh, broken token insert for this thing and so the box is full already. Wow. I can't put more stuff in there. This might be one of the rare exceptions where I have to keep the expansion box. Which I hate doing. I think the only game I've done that for is Orleans because it has, with the two expansions, as like 10 more boards gotcha. that you just can't put them yeah. anywhere. I might have to do that for this one. We'll see how much actually comes in the box. Okay.
1: Well, my acquisition disorder is an acquisition disorder I talked about a little bit at the end of my at the table talking about Everdale. This is Pearlbrook, the first expansion for Everdale. And this campaign wraps up on Thursday. September 27th, so you have probably about a week when you hear this go up. Now, I talked about Everdale, and I talked about that game being a buy for a number of different reasons. Great artwork, amazing production, and really streamlined gameplay. You're playing a card, you are placing out a a meeple, as far as a worker placement action is concerned, but it all comes together, and the text on the cards are not complicated, but it definitely adds a level of complexity that just from looking at the artwork you would not assume from this game now this expansion which was kind of somewhat I guess I wouldn't say fan created but at least they asked the fans what they were really looking for and they said they wanted you know a river faction here and added a little river here so basically what you're looking here is an additional board that kind of adds on to your already kind of magnificent little game area And it's adding pearls to the game as a resource. So these little flattened pearls that add to the game. And now you're going to have these frog ambassadors, which is, once again, just more meeples in the game. 3D pieces that are going to kind of like upscale the game once again. Otter critters, which are probably my little favorite creature out there. Once again, very good artwork as far as eliciting that very whimsical theme. Good gameplay and just a lot of different options here. Once again, great production. Really, I, I would be honest with you. This probably shouldn't be missed if you've played Everdale enough that you feel like you've gotten everything out, or if you just want to add something new to the gameplay. It seems like a just it makes it's like a no brainer as far
0: as an expansion is concerned. I've I've gotten this set up and I've got a chance to run through the rules. I haven't gotten to the table yet with a group, but I'm excited to play it. And especially after hearing you know your thoughts uh, last week while on the train um <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I might have to go in on this even though i haven't played the, the base game
1: yeah the only downside happens to be that the text is very small so you do have to typically pick up the cards from that little meadow area and read them up close but otherwise great expansion really nice to have this as part of the collection all right anthony so that is our acquisition disorders let's get on to the things that are actually hitting our table this week so For our at-the-table review, we're going to let you know if the game is a buy and you should run out and pick up that game. If the game is a play and you should definitely sit down and play that game. If the game's a dodge and you should totally find a different table. Or if the game's a dreaded
0: burn and you just avoid that game at all costs. So, Anthony, what did you get to the table this week? All right. This is a game that I, when I first heard about it, I thought it was extremely cute. But I didn't necessarily know if it would be a good fit in my house. But I'm glad that I gave it a shot anyways because it was a huge hit with my kids, and that's My Little Scythe. So just a little backstory on this, in case you haven't heard of this game. This is a originally a fan-produced variant for Scythe. It was cre- created by Hobie Chow and his daughter, Vienna Chow. And it is they took My Little Pony pieces, and they made a kid's version of Scythe that is legitimately good for six, seven, eight years old that you can go on BGG, you can see the photos of their prototypes. And and it's really cute. You got little, minor little pony figures running around collecting apples. And it it was actually so popular. It won the the BGG uh, Best Print and Play Award uh, last year. So this was a very popular fan-created print and play game, so much so that uh, Jamie Segmeyer picked it up and published it. So now we can all play My Little Scythe. Now, of course, because it's officially published, it does not have My Little Pony pieces in it. Instead, it has little chibi versions of all the animals from Scythe. So all the companions, the animal companions, are now the main characters in this game. There are seven of them. Uh, the game plays up to six, and each of them has two um, figures. So you're going to be moving two figures around the map, and they are different, each of them. So I think one's male, one's female. And so you get like different sculpts there, which is pretty cool. The basic idea of the game, if you played Scythe, is fairly familiar. You are taking actions on your personal player board. Uh, instead of the multiple actions available in Scythe, you only have three categories of actions. You can either move, you can make, um, or you can search. And in this case, there are a couple different options. If you're searching for things, you, have, you can either roll more red dice or more blue dice. Um, the red dice for apples, the blue dice for gems. And those are your two resources in the game. Uh, you're going to be picking up apples and gems from different places on the map. And it's kind of interesting how that works. When you search, you roll the dice, they show colors, and you have to place them on those colored hexes on the board. Maybe they're near you, maybe they're not, but it just helps to populate the board for everybody. If you put it on a space for somebody else, you get friendship points, which in the end is one of the victory conditions. You can also spend them from other things. There are also these little exploration quest tokens, these allow you to do all sorts of stuff. Usually it's There's usually like a good action where you'll spend some resources and something good happens to you. There's a mean action where you hurt somebody else, but it's never that mean, but a little bit. Maybe you're stealing an apple or two, but you lose friendship. And then there's always the third option of I don't want to complete this quest. Just give me an apple or just give me a friendship. Victory conditions are very similar to Scythe. Uh, You have eight different categories at the top of the board. And each of these, you're going to place trophies there when you get to you know, max out whatever you need to do. So one of them is deliver four apples to the castle. Another one is to complete two quests. Another one is to, to beat somebody in combat. And combat in this game is that you are having a pie fight. So you'll be using pies as your, as your aggression meter. You have a pie meter that you're going to be spending to, to attack each other. And once somebody's gotten all four of their trophies out, so it's only four in this, um, keeping it short the game trick the, the game end triggers everybody else gets one more turn and you see what happens there are a bunch of tiebreakers after that i think the first tiebreaker is friendship so basically if you manage to get to the end and you're tied and you have been the best player without being mean to anybody you win so that's i like that it's a nice lesson for my kids because <laughs> my son He's, anytime those cards came up, he's like, yeah, I'm doing the mean one. I'm like, I haven't read it yet. He's like, yeah, I'm doing the mean one. I don't care what it is. is. Give me your stuff. I'm going to attack you. And he lost because of the tiebreaker. So maybe he learned something. I really, really enjoyed this. I I mean, I play a lot of games with my kids, a lot of hobby games, a lot of Mattel games, a lot of whatever people buy us for Christmas or birthdays games. And there's always varying levels. I mean, there's, there's always the... The easy mass market games that the kids will play over and over again that I'm bored with, but I will pretend to enjoy for their sake, but they're short. There are kind of the more hobbyish games that have like multiple levels of difficulty where I'm kind of working with them to teach them the game and make sure they're having fun. Um, And then there's this, which kind of fits in a different space where it takes these ideas of a Euro, of the games I play that they see me playing, you know, these big boards with hexes, and they make it really accessible for children, which there are other games that try to do this. You have like my first Stone Age, won the Kinderspiel a couple of years ago. So that's a great example. My first Carcassonne, other games like that, which are very good as well. But and I think this one sits right in that category and is is a very solid entry in that category. For people who don't know, I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. She's almost four. And the seven-year-old had zero problems. He figured it out pretty quick, got the rules down, you know trounced around, threw pies at us. Three-year-old obviously didn't quite get everything. The, the game says eight and up, and community says six and up, which seems about right. But she, because the game was relatively short, we're talking about 45 minutes here, because there's all these big, beautiful pieces that she gets to play with, and there's pies, and they're throwing them at each other. Like, the way the game is presented, she was engaged with it, and I could help her out. And the cool thing is the game comes with a, an automa, um, similar to all the other Stonemeyer games that allows you to play, you know, if I wanted to just play with her against the game, we can do that. So I can help her out instead of helping her out against her brother, which he doesn't appreciate. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. We've played it several times now. They really enjoy it. It does not take very long to set up despite how big the box is. The only thing I'd say is for a children's game, fairly expensive. It's a $50 game. Uh, and you know, it's a tough sell to families. I think, the main market here is people who have and like Scythe and want to kind of share that type of game with their kids. So if you're a hobby board gamer, as all of you are that are listening to this, and you have children and you want to share with them kind of that heavier type of game that you generally play that they see you playing at the table, but that they're not ready for, this is a good place to go. This is a good game for that. Uh, whereas, you know, if you're just you know, at a target looking for board games or if you, you know, play Ticket to Ride and stuff like that. I don't know that this would necessarily make sense. Um, not that it wouldn't be good. I think you would still enjoy it. It just I don't know if that'd be the first game I recommend. It's a children's game. Uh, it is definitely a lot of fun, though. Well worth picking up. And um very excited that we have this because we will be playing it quite a bit. I think that's my little site. That's excellent. So that's a big buy for you guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was it's funny because I didn't honestly, I didn't know how it would turn out. I've tried a lot of different types of games. It's it's always hit or miss with the kids. You never know what they're gonna like. But my son, he's definitely more of an Ameritrash guy. He likes the miniatures. He wants to have something to play with. Like, if you give him a hand of cards and some wooden cubes, he'll drop the cubes and bend the cards because he just needs to fidget. You know? Yeah. Um, He just he's always moving. He's always doing stuff. He likes dexterity games. And he likes moving miniatures around a board and fighting stuff. My daughter is much more of a thinker, but she's little. So euros and that type of stuff will be more in her realm when she's older but right now she's a three-year-old so it's have being able to sit down and play with these and then i can kind of guide her and be like oh move here do this and do this and obviously she doesn't get the whole game but uh she she still had fun with it which is good and i think it's definitely gonna be a good fit for everybody as we get older and uh um even their mother got involved and it wasn't you know she we don't always all play the same game together at the same time and this one really fit it was a good fit i like it thanks You couldn't even, like you said, the Automa could be her, you know, playing
1: that kind of like, now you do this, now you do that, and, you know, because you can follow those cards and actually
0: give her some strategy in that way, too. Yeah, it's funny. When I opened the box, like I saw that it had an Automa rulebook, and they call it Out of Mountie, which I don't get, but it's funny. <laughs> um, and I was like, why would you play this solo, you know? And that's the one thing I would say. This is not for adults. Like, I've had this them. conversation with people about Stuffed Fables or Mice and Mystics. You know, Jason and I have argued about this before. And he's like, oh, I don't really enjoy this. I'm like, yeah, because they're for kids. You know, it's <laughs> not... Um, And I would play Mice and Mystics with other adults because I, I just kind of like that kind of storytelling thing. But they are kids games. So this is even more down that line. Like I could see somebody looking at this, seeing you know, a $50 game box on the shelf and all these cute little creatures and be like, oh, cool. You know, it's a version of Scythe. And there are almost certainly adults out there who will have fun playing this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you if you do, Uh-oh. I'm just. <laughs> all I'm saying is it's clearly designed for kids. And if you are bored by it or don't enjoy it, it's not the game's fault, I don't think. I think it's it's just it's a children's game. So the I'm, I'm talking about this game through the filter of I'm an adult who has to play a lot of games with my children, and I actually enjoy playing this one with them. I enjoy playing a lot of games with them, but this one in particular, I had a lot of fun. Excellent. you have anything else for us? Um, Yeah, one more game I just wanted to talk about real quick. Um, It's a pretty light game, and this is uh, Blue Lagoon. This is a new one from Blue Orange Games, and designer Reiner Knizia. Ooh, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's a guy. He's he's an up-and-comer. I feel like when I first got into the hobby he had been at a little bit of a lull where to me, it seemed like all of his games were older. Um, he wasn't releasing a lot of new stuff. Now, all of a sudden the last couple of years, new stuff, bam, bam, bam. And I know he never stopped releasing games, but now there's like a lot of big productions coming out. So this is one of them. Uh, one of the, I think two or three games he released at Gen Con. And it is a game in which you are exploring these islands in this blue lagoon. So the cover is this beautiful, bright, almost Disney-like artwork, so much so that my daughter saw it and said, ooh, Moana. Um, And that's why we first brought it out, because she thought it was uh, Moana. So she wanted to to see the characters inside. She was disappointed, though, because it is um, little pieces of wood and cardboard chits. You have a map. It has eight islands on it. And on your turn, you're going to do one thing. You're going to put out a boat or you're going to put out a uh, a settler. And it's the same cardboard chit. Front is a boat, back is a settler. At the start of the game, you start in the water, and then you just go um, adjacent to there and kind of spread out and build out your network. And you do this around and around and around. Everybody does one per turn until all of the resources on the map are gone or all of your chits are gone. Almost always, it's going to be the resources first, depending on the player count. The game is fairly quick, um, depending on the AP. There can be some AP here because once you've completed that, you're going to do it again. And the way that works is you have these five little village tokens. They're wooden little dudes. And you're going to put those out as well in that first round, sometimes in place of those chits. In the second round, you start with all those villages on the map. So when teaching it, make sure everybody knows, put out your villages. You need them for the next round. The scoring is based on the little bits that you pick up as you move around. So there's different goods all over the map. You get points for sets. You get points for multiples of the same type of good. You get points for these little statues you pick up. You also get points for being on all of the islands if you can pull it off. You get points for being on a chain of islands if you can get a continuous line of your guys out there. So lots of different things you can do to gain points. It looks like a lot of things. It looks abstracty. and then it, you feel like it's a little bit of area control, and then there's some set collection in there. In the end, I would describe this as an abstract game. You are closing off areas, trying to control it, kind of like go almost, but like much, much, much simpler than that. A lot of the game comes down to strategically positioning yourself early on so that you can always grab a resource before someone else can get to it. So, you know, you'll put a guy next to the resource when another guy is two spaces away. So if they try to go for it, you just take it the next turn. And it's a lot of that, the push pull mechanics of like racing for those resources, setting yourself up, blocking things off, manipulating the board a little bit. So that at the end, people can't get to where they need to be because you're blocking them. It's very interesting. I've had some people really enjoy it sitting down to play, some people not so much. I'm on the plus side, I think. It is not. I think he has other games that have similar styles of mechanics that I enjoyed more. Through the Desert is a game that. I really, really enjoyed, and I'm glad that it finally got back out. This game, it's not exactly like Through the Desert, but it has kind of a similar, almost light, abstract Go feel to it. And I, I, I it's tough. I think I'd rather play the other one, but I still really enjoy this. And it's more readily available. It's less expensive. And the rules are so simple, I can teach it. To, you know, my seven-year-old play this without a problem. So it's a play. It's a, it's a solid game. It, it fits in, you know, kind of that light, um, abstract level of Euro. uh, And for the right group of people, for people who like that type of game, I think it's a solid game. I don't know that I would recommend going out and picking it up because there are a lot of games that do similar things, some of them a little bit better, uh, but it's solid and enjoyable. That's Blue Lagoon. All right, well, I got two games to the table, one very small, one very large.
1: First one on the small side is Blockus Duo. Now, Blockus Duo has been out for quite some time and was recently reprinted by Mattel Games. And basically, what you're looking at is a small box game in which you can play Blockus for two players. Now, if by chance you haven't played Blockus before, i got to say something. For a guy that's typically not an Abstract fan, this is a really an Abstract that I like a lot. Blockus, typically, at least the larger format, is usually a four-player game, but this is a two-player game. And basically, it's you have black pieces, you have white pieces, think kind of like chess, but... You're going to have these like Tetris-like pieces of plastic, all different shapes, and the object of the game is to get all of your pieces or as many of your pieces out as you can before the other player does. So if the other player can't place another piece on the board and you can still continue to go, you'd win the game. So basically you take these oddly shaped little Tetris pieces, you place them on this grid board, And then when it comes around to your turn again, you'll take another one of these pieces and you have to place it on the edge. So everything is like angle to angle, edge to edge. So not on a flat edge, not on a long edge. So basically you are taking up the whole entire space rather quickly and you're trying to maximize the number of pieces and the largeness of the pieces that you're putting on the board. So as I said, whoever gets the most pieces out there wins the game. Blockus, i played in a lot of different formats, 3D versions, 2D versions. This is really a great game for two players. It's very intense. It's a lot of fun, and it's a buy. Now, on the bigger side, I also got a chance to play a game that is out of print, thanks to our friend Dave, and that is a Richard Breeze classic called Reef Encounter, which came out in 2004. Now, this game is definitely on the heavy side. It's coming very close, I would say about 3.7 or so on BGG. And basically what you're looking at here is you're looking at an economic game that has a coral reef theme kind of pasted all over it. And it really does kind of give you the sense of this aquatic theme in which you're building up your coral reef. You're taking pieces away of that reef or eating other pieces of other pieces of reef from other players in order to, I guess manage or manage your coral reef, or I guess if you want to think abstractly, manage the market. So there aren't a lot of different actions here, but basically what they come down to is you'll have these different pieces, these little kind of square chits. You'll have a certain number of boards based upon this the players that are out there. Everyone's sharing these boards in the middle of the table. And you are going to place out a number of these different tiles based upon the color. Now if you want to place these tiles out, you have to have one of these little cylinders that's going to allow you to place that particular color out. So throughout the game, you'll have an opportunity to go up to the main board, pick one of these types of cubes, and along that that with this activation cube, you can pick up these tiles. So the tiles are typically all different colors. So throughout the game, you are trying to manage what activation color cubes you want with trying to get the right color of tiles as well. As you put those cubes out on the boards, you'll, they'll kind of build up. Once they build up to a point where they really spread out, ideally you're going to put your little shrimp out there. Now, the shrimp is really good because he protects the coral, at least, you know, somewhat. So he protects at least five different squares of your coral reef. And at some point when your coral reef has grown large enough, you can now recall it or basically You're going to have your parrotfish come in there and eat it. Anything beyond a certain tile count is going to go to your victory point kind of holding spot. So it's trying to manage the growth, trying to eat the other pieces of coral from the different colors. And I should mention that you can only eat the colors based upon what this little market area is showing you. So it might show you that, for example, that orange can eat yellow, but Throughout the game, players will have the opportunity to flip that, and now yellow can eat orange. Now, this is important not just as far as picking up additional coral pieces because coral pieces do a lot of things for you in the game in order to allow you to move pieces in the game and kind of activate certain pieces, but at the end of the game, you're going to count up all of the different color chits that you have, look at the market itself, see what's strongest, So that's going to score you more victory points. So once certain things are locked down because people paid pieces of coral to lock that certain color down, then the game gets really tight. Now you know that black is very strong and yellow is very strong. So everyone starts growing a black or yellow coral reef and starts collecting that. So there's jockeying for position throughout the game. So as I said, it is a really interesting dynamic kind of Market economic game, and yet at the same time, the choral theme is kind of really well done here. I don't know how much more they could possibly do this, but they did a really decent job, and I was pretty surprised. Richard Breeze is pretty much well known for his Keyflower games, and this is an oldie but a goodie that I hope someday gets a uh, reprint. So I'm going to
0: give this game a buy. I think there was a, a fantastic game. Yeah, I don't know if I've actually played any of his games. Wow, you haven't played Keyflower? no no it's just one of those games that you know cult of the new and everything Sure, yeah just doesn't hit the table yeah keyflower has a pretty big following
1: and it's it's a really interesting game because you're using meeples kind of as an auction system and then when you build up your own tiles people can use them so it really kind of it it kind of takes euro games and flips it on its head yeah yeah and i definitely have to check it out all right so that's reef encounter All right, so that's everything that's been hitting our table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the hottest on BGG, the games that everyone's talking about and the games that hopefully you'll be talking about at the table. So Anthony's going to jump in, let us know what's going on with BGG, what games are hot, what games are people are talking about. So Anthony, what's actually happening on BGG?
0: All right, guys. Uh, So usually I start this at the top. Uh, This time I'm going to start... At the bottom, uh, at least of the fifteen we run through, and uh, we'll work our way up to the hottest game as of today, <laughs> the day we're recording this, September thirteenth. So, the first game on the list here is it's an interesting one. A lot of people are very excited about it, and it's making a lot of money on Kickstarter. It is Nanty Narking. It is a Victorian board game um, set in the world of like Dickens and Doyle. has a lot of literary figures in it. I'm actually legitimately very excited about this game because of the theme alone as a as a one-time English major. The other reason people are excited is that it's a reimplementation of Discworld on pork which has been out of print forever and impossible to find and is the most popular of those Discworld games um which are very popular um as the, the based on the book series by Terry Pratchett. So, this one's on Kickstarter right now. Uh it should be up for a little bit longer. The next one on the list here is Walls of York. This is a new game from Cranio Creations by Emiliano Venturini. And it is a city building puzzle game. So the map is, looks like a spreadsheet. (laughs) You're gonna be building um, various types of walls and everything, trying to close in different locations on this map as uh, you're building the walls of York. So it looks very interesting. Creanio has been putting out some good stuff lately. So uh, well worth checking out that one, I think, uh, as it comes out at Essen. Next one up here is Shadows Amsterdam. This is a new game from Libelud and uh, Matthew Albert. And again, this one's coming out at Essen. So hence the hotness. It's hard to tell exactly what this game is, but it's a deduction game with real-time elements to it. It is, the weight is listed as extremely low, but I think it's one of those types of games where that's not really the point. Um, Artwork looks fantastic and very pretty, um, really pops. And anytime you have a 20-minute kind of real-time deduction game, there's going to be a big audience for that, so... That is the hotness on that one. Next one up there is Scythe, because of course, we've been talking about Scythe, we talked about My Little Scythe today, we talked about Rise of Fenris two weeks ago. This game is hot, will remain so, and uh, probably won't cool down for a little while until there hasn't been any new content for it for a a bit. Next up is Western Legends. This is an open-world sandbox game um, set in the Wild West. This was on Kickstarter uh, about a year ago from Colossal Games. It is shipping. Uh, we saw it at Gen Con. They had copies they were selling there, so it is possible to get this game now. Beautiful looking board, fantastic artwork. Um, love the poker style cards. I know it's kind of a cliche in this type of game, but they some of the best looking um, of those types of cards in these types of games. Next up is Arkham Horror the Card Game. Uh, had a new pack came out yesterday, maybe today, so that's why it's here. I mean, it's always on this list, but when there's a new pack it jumps right to the top uh next one up there is welcome to this is my new favorite roll and write game without the rolling uh this one is it's been really hot it's jumping up in the rankings i think right now they're on the verge of a new print so that people are talking about the game because it might actually be possible to find it Uh, except for conventions and if you pre-ordered it i don't think it was possible to find this game anywhere all summer even though it was released back in june uh so that one hopefully people will be able to pick up copies of that soon uh, next one on the list is terraforming mars which doesn't have any new content immediately coming out although with the number of expansions this game has there's we're never more than a few months away from something uh prelude just released last month and uh we have the new one coming up um, at coming at the end of i think november so hopefully we'll pick that up at pax The uh, next game up here is one I'm very excited for. I think we're all very excited for it. It's Teotihuacan City of Gods. This one is releasing at Essen and hopefully everywhere else around the same time. I think that's the goal. And they printed a tremendous number of these. So if you put in a pre-order, you will get a copy. It's not super expensive. I have played it. It's very, very good. So (laughs) you should definitely track this one down. Uh, Next is Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game. Uh, so this was a very popular PlayStation four game. Uh, it came out about a year and a half ago and very unique world, kind of this far future ish animals or machines type of thing. Um, lots and lots of cool creature designs. So this is the team behind the dark sorrows board game and they are doing this now. Uh, and it is a one to four player cooperative game in which you're moving through this world and trying to complete yeah. different missions and whatnot. Uh, I think the main draw of this is either A, you like the IP, or B, you really like the creature and art design, um, similar to really any of these board games based on video games. So if you like Horizon Zero Dawn, if you've played Dark Souls, the board game and didn't mind it, this is definitely something worth checking out. Uh, Next on the list, Gloomhaven, because it's Gloomhaven, which is what I say every time, but I'm running out of things to say about Gloomhaven. So there you go. Um, there is an expansion for this coming relatively soon. I don't think it'll be there for Essen. I think that was the goal. I don't know if he's going to make it, but it's going to be done soon. So end of the year, beginning of next year, that will be out. Uh, next up Everdell. So Chris just talked about this and his acquisition disorder. So with the expansion, so that's why it's up here. Plus it's a good game. So this is another one that's jumping up in the rankings. Now it's at 599 moving up pretty quick. I think a lot of people are pretty uh, impressed by this one. Uh, next one here, I don't quite get it, but uh, it, it looks interesting. This is The Table is Lava. It is a action dexterity game that I think was just on here because it was part of the new game roundup. And the idea of the game is you're throwing cards at a table. And as, as described, the table is lava. So you're trying to move different meeples around trying to save them knock them over into the lava on the table i don't know seems silly but there you go (laughs) it's from r&r games Uh, it should be fun uh next one on the list is glory to rome and when i saw this today when i was getting into prep for this i got legit excited i was like oh my gosh there's only one reason it would be up here and that's not why it's up here so (laughs) there was an article on ars technica uh, somebody kind of did a deep dive oral history of what happened with this game and why it will never, ever be reprinted again. So just another reminder of when we're never going to get this game. So. <laughs> and that puts it in the hotness. Next one up here is Pandemic Fall of Rome. So this has become a thing now that Z-Man does. Every year they release a thematic version of Pandemic. Two years ago, they had the Iberian Peninsula and during the plagues. Last year, they had the dikes in uh, Scandinavia. And so now we have Pandemic, the fall of Rome, in which you are reenacting the fall of Rome and the barbarians uh, trying to push them back. So not disease this time, it's barbarians. Honestly, I'm not a huge Pandemic fan, but I've liked most of like the weird twists and spins that they've had on Pandemic. So like the Legacy games. I liked the two that have come out the last two years. I wasn't a huge fan of the Cthulhu version, but this one looks pretty interesting. So I'll, I'll probably check this one out. And last but not least, at the very top of the hotness this week, no surprise here at all, Root. This is the hottest game of 2018 so far. Uh, it is, I don't know how hard it's going to be to find. They printed a ton. The local stores near me though, Whatever copies they got in disappeared on pre-orders immediately. So we'll see if there are more out there to be shipped. Very hot game right now. I've been playing it a lot lately myself, so should have a review soon. My goal is to to play multiple games with each of the different races, plus the expansion stuff before I actually talk about it. Um, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So there you have it. That's the BGG Hotness, the top 15 games. Nice. Well, I want to add
1: just a little bit because sometimes the board game hotness is not just definitely cardboard, but it's also digital. Asmodee released today information that on Nintendo Switch this year and next year will be coming a lot of new board games, including Carcassonne, The Lord of the Rings, the card game, Pandemic, Catan, and Munchkin. So I think we'll
0: eventually see those kind of hit a different type of hotness list, On the digital side. Yeah, I'm super psyched. I have a Switch. I play it constantly. I played it for hours on the trip to Boston and back. Board games. Yeah, bring them. I'm I'm all about that. Plus Civilization VI, which is basically a board game. And (laughs) City Skylines are are also coming to Switch. Uh, I love that thing. Absolutely.
1: All right, Anthony. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. As long as it's not lava.